Well, before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Amen. We started reading last week from Shemot, the second book of Torah, Exodus, and I was focusing on five ways that God revealed himself to Moses. And these five ways give us a framework for reading about God in Torah and also for reading the rest of the Tanakh. And as well, I think they prepare us for reading about Messiah in the writings of the apostles, the Brit HaKadoshah. And so I, I want to take another look at five ways that God reveals himself in the Brit HaKadoshah, and I want to connect it to the same five ways he revealed himself to Moses. So the first is that God revealed himself as a God who can appear as fire at the burning bush, of course, we all know that. And then as we will read uh, in upcoming weeks, he appears as a pillar of fire leading Israel. And then at Sinai, he appears in the fire and the thunder and lightning as well. But right now, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 15. And I want to introduce to you a word, if you are not familiar with the Hebrew, tevilah. Can you say that? Tevilah? Which means immersion. It's, in Greek, it's baptizo, and that generates the English, baptize. And here we're going to, to learn something about the tevilah of fire. Luke chapter 3, verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly. They were with Yochanan, John the Baptist, who wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> he was an immerser who was calling people to repentance. He was of the lineage of the Jewish prophets and priesthood. And he was calling people to repentance, and he was also preparing them for the coming of Messiah. And so it says, the people were waiting expectantly, and they were all wondering in their hearts if John might be Mashiach. And so they asked him, and he answered them, and said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, centuries later in Jerusalem, during Shavuot, the Lord revealed himself through tongues of fire when he poured out the Holy Spirit upon Yeshua's disciples. So let's go there to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And this is going to be sort of a merry-go-round of scriptures. And it says this, Suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where the disciples were sitting. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
So here we have a connection between God who appears to Moses in fire and God who appears at other times to all of the children of Israel in the pillar of fire. And now we have this promise from Yohanan that Messiah himself will be sending fire another way associated with the Holy Spirit and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of tongues. And so it's important to grasp that. Oh, there's continuity this way. You realize that the God who is revealing himself to Moses is the same God revealing himself in many ways that are shocking and unprecedented. Like he revealed to Moses, he's now revealing to the disciples of Yeshua. Now, the second, second way that God reveals himself is as a personal presence. And I think you, you may think this is so simple that you're over-familiar with it and you forget how important this is. And if you ever forget how important God's personal presence is, it will really have a negative impact on your spiritual relationship with God. As well, it will make it very difficult for you to share good news with other people because you'll be limited in what you can tell them about God if you remove his personhood and his presence. So there's something to keep in mind in the Brita Chadashah. Yeshua appears as a real person. And the story, which I did not get right when I was a young Jewish guy, now I'm a little bit older. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. But I didn't get... I didn't get this detail. I thought that those who believed in Jesus thought that he was a good man who got to be so good that they thought he became God. That's not the correct story. The correct story is God who is good came down and took on human flesh. So Yeshua appears as a real person. And since he appeared as a real person, there have been some people who debated that. Some were saying, well, he wasn't really a person, he just looked like a person. But he wasn't made up of human being stuff. But that's not what the British Hadashah tells us. It tells us he was born to a woman. So he had a real human body. He's not just a force of nature. He's not just a spiritual force. God comes as a personal presence. He comes as a person. And this one scripture from Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, if you're taking notes, it captures the idea so succinctly and without any compromise. For in Messiah, all the fullness of Adonai dwells within a human body. That is the declaration, that God has come down personally and that Yeshua is the personal presence of the Lord. Very powerful that he could do that. 
Now, I've heard objections to this from people who say, so you're telling me that the God of the whole universe was inside of this one person? Yeah, that's right. That wasn't the only place he was. But he's certainly the fullness of God. Nothing missing. Because that's the interesting thing about God. God can be in many different places, as many different places as he wants, at the same time, without diminishing himself. So if someone says, well, I don't think he can, I'd say, then you haven't read the Torah. Because the Torah says he can. He came down, he walked with Adam. Was he there, yes or no? That's what it says. Right? He came down and visited Abraham. Yes or no? Well, I don't really believe that. Then you don't believe anything. That's what I would say. It's not that you don't believe that Yeshua could be the fullness of God. It's you don't believe God can do what God says he can do and what the scripture says he has done. That's your problem. third way that God reveals himself is through his voice. God has a voice. And again, for, for some people who are over-familiar with these details, you may not take note of how radically important they are. But Yeshua said this detail about his voice is very important. In John chapter 10, verse 27, he said... My sheep hear my voice. And that word hear is a rich word. It means they hear it, they listen to it, and they heed my voice. And then he said, I know them and they follow me. That knowing and that following is connected to the voice of the Lord. Now, there's a, another moment that I want you to read with me about. It's in Acts chapter 26. Because it has a detail about the voice of Yeshua that is, um, that is not described earlier in the book of Acts. Three times in the book of Acts, we read accounts of how Paul had this experience on the road to Damascus. And he heard a voice from heaven and had an encounter that turned out to be with the Lord. In the first account, it happens. In the second account, he's describing it to um, a Jewish audience, and he's speaking in Hebrew to them and just telling them the story. And in the third account, he's speaking to King Agrippa, and he includes a detail in it that is so important, and it's it's in the Greek so that no one can take it away, even though translators don't like sometimes what the scriptures actually say. And sometimes translators change things in English or whatever language is the received language, the transmitted language. They change it to fit their belief and their theology. Acts chapter 26 Starting in verse 12, Paul is talking about his experience 
about hearing the voice of Yeshua. And he was describing how he was on his way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests because he was going there to, to, to arrest Messianic Jews. Verse 13, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and my companions. Verse 14, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me in, check your Bible, what does it say? In Hebrew, that's what the Greek says. Many English translations say in Aramaic. And, and yet the Greek says Hebrew. Aramaic is a related dialect language, but not the same, but the Greek just says Hebrew. But you know, there are people who don't believe that Yeshua spoke Hebrew. I've mentioned this before, but I, I watched a video of the Pope and Bibi, Bibi Netanyahu once. They were in Jerusalem together, and Bibi said something about Yeshua. This is the prime minister of Israel. Said something about Yeshua spoke Hebrew. And the Pope said, not Hebrew, Aramaic. And Bibi says, Aramaic and Hebrew. And this is their dialogue. And I thought, what a world we've come to where Bibi Netanyahu is lecturing the Pope on how many languages Yeshua could speak and which ones they are. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me in Hebrew, okay, now everything you read that's in English was said in Hebrew. And whatever Paul was saying at that point was not in English. How many of you know this, that there is no English in the actual Bible? Only in translations. Yeah, I, I know some people who are so rigid and they say, you know what, I only want to do what's in the Bible. And I say, oh yeah, stop talking in English. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Don't use electricity, right? Don't live in Florida. Who lived in Florida during Bible time? Alligators, I don't know. This is what the voice said to me in Hebrew. Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick or press against the goads. And you know what a goad is. It's a sharp stick that was used to direct oxen. Um, some animals can be led one way or another, but there are a few animals that need to be poked in order to turn them in the right direction. And Yeshua was saying to Paul, Shaul, you're that kind of animal. <laughs> it takes a sharp stick. And Paul asks, in Hebrew, who are you, sir? Some translations say, Lord. That's probably not the best translation at that moment. Who are you, sir? And the answer, you can repeat after me, was this. Ani Yeshua. I am Yeshua. That was his answer. He didn't say it in English. He didn't say it in Spanish. He didn't say it in Portuguese. He didn't say it in Latin. He didn't say it in Greek. He said it in Hebrew. How do we know that? 
because it says that. That's what we just read. I am Yeshua whom you are persecuting. And this reminds me of that moment when Joseph revealed himself and said, Ani Yosef, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. And remember, Joseph pulled the fast one on his brothers. He had been speaking in Egyptian through interpreters, and now he switches to Hebrew all by himself. And so I can imagine the brothers of Joseph and Saul are having one of those uh uh-oh moments. I am Yeshua whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. But get up and stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me and what I will show you. You know, on a readiness scale for evangelism, Saul didn't even measure. Zero readiness outwardly. And that's instructive for us. There may be people who you think there is no way that they're open to this. I was such a person. And if you looked at me and talked to me, you would know, no way. And God got a hold of me anyway. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. This reminds me of when God called Moses and told him, I'm going to send you to um, Pharaoh who will resist you and refuse you until I force him. It's like, oh great, a willing audience. And here's what, what Yeshua says to Paul, I will save you from your own people and from the Gentiles, which is a clue you're going to get in trouble with everybody. How many can relate to this as messianics? It's like, well, I I know all sorts of people that can misunderstand who we are and what we are. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them. I'm going to save you, but don't worry, I'm sending you there. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of the adversary to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by putting their trust in me and having faith in me. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Now what happens next to Paul, do you remember? He can't see, right? And he had the experience of blindness that I think prepared him to talk to other people who also had closed eyes. But he too had closed eyes right up until that moment, until the revelation of Yeshua, Shaul was a persecutor of Yeshua. Until that moment. And that shows you something. That God had a love for and an interest in Shaul prior to Shaul's love and interest in him. God took the first steps. The most important ones. 
Now, I just love the fact that the resurrected Messiah, Yeshua, spoke with a distinctive voice. He spoke in Hebrew, revealing himself to Shaul. He could have spoken in Latin or Greek. He could have spoken in Aramaic. He didn't. He spoke in Hebrew. And we could say this, that God speaks with a voice that can touch the heart and the mind very deeply. Now, the fourth way that God reveals himself in the New Testament is as the God who has wisdom and ultimate authority. And I want you to think about this. Yeshua is the anointed one, Hamashiach. He's not an anointed one. He's not one of the anointed ones. He is Hamashiach, the ultimate anointed one. He's Melech HaMashiach, King Messiah. And he is essential. He's not one alternative for just a few people. He's not, he's not your Messiah because that's your truth. He's your Messiah because he is the truth. John chapter 14, verse 6 puts it this way. Yeshua said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So he doesn't say, I'm one of the ways. I've got a little bit of truth. He says, no one comes except through me. No one. Matthew 28, verse 16. After Yeshua's resurrection, he appears to his disciples and he makes some travel arrangements with them and tells them that they need to meet up in the Galilee at a certain place. And that's what we pick up, Matthew 28, verse 16. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Yeshua had designated. And when they saw him, they bowed down and worshipped him, but some were uncertain about it. And then Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All authority. Earthly authority? Not just. Heavenly authority. All authority has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them, it's the same word, uh, it, it's the, from the same root as tevilah, um, matbil, and it means literally to immerse, and it's in the Greek as baptizo, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then verse 20, and teaching them to obey, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Yeshua is claiming that he has all authority, which is consistent with what God says about himself. Only God makes this claim, I have all authority. Pharaoh said, who are you? I don't know who you are. 
And God said, you don't have to know who I am. I'm still in charge. (laughs) You have two important aspects of Yeshua in his ministry. One is the atoning sacrifice that he made for us without which none of us can be reconciled to God. But there's another part that's often neglected, and that is the teachings of Yeshua. What did he teach us? What are the core teachings? What are the details of those teachings? Because both are important. It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord, why don't you do what I said? Right? Yeshua said, the one who builds his house on a rock is like the one who hears my teachings and puts them into practice. So you have the work that Yeshua himself alone could do, and that is the atoning sacrifice. No one can do it for you, except him. You can't do it yourself. And in addition to that, you have the teachings of his ministry and his life. Yeshua says clearly he has ultimate authority, and he calls for one thing, obedience. Obey me. Now, the fifth way that God reveals himself in the New Testament is as the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew. God identifies himself as the same one who had earlier revealed himself to our forefathers. And here, I think we we see the importance of this continuity, the continuing importance of God's identity as the God of Abraham, the God of of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Moses and the God of the Jewish scriptures who's described in the Jewish scriptures. He's not some other God, nor has he given up that identity. So I want to start with uh, an interesting passage that's actually in this week's Torah reading, but it sort of sets the stage. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. It's from this week's portion. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. Although I did not make myself known to them by my name, yod heh vav the ineffable, unspeakable name of God. Now, this is interesting because do you remember at the burning bush, Moses says, who are you? What's your name? What do I tell people is, is your name? And the Lord gives this answer, Eir, Asher, Eir, you know, which can mean I am who I am and I will be what I will be. I'm self-contained and self-sufficient. I have all authority and sovereignty and I will be for you what you need me to be, but you can't control me people in the Middle East at that time and still today, uh, many Sephardic Jews and Mizrahi Jews, those from Arab lands, think that if you learn a specific name of God, many Kabbalists teach this, if you learn a name of God and you say it just so, then he will do what you tell him to do. That's magic. That's not faith. And it's upside down because it puts the person in control of God, not God in control of the world. It's upside down. 
And it actually is associated with ancient magic and with modern magic. So God really doesn't give Moses a tool using his name by which Moses can control God. And even to ponder it, I will be what I will be, I am what I am, it's like, yeah, I don't get it. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, here's what you're supposed to do with this. Obey me. Right? Yeah, but I'm not good at it. Get good at it. That's the ultimate word of the Lord to Moses. You'll do fine, son. Quit arguing. Don't make me mad. (laughs) But here, without Moses soliciting any input from the Lord, the Lord says, I'm on and I... Your forefathers knew me as El Shaddai. They knew me in this way as God Almighty. But I didn't reveal myself to them as yod heh They didn't really have intimacy with me in that covenantal way. But what's so interesting is Moses can't control God using this name. No one can. And this is unprecedented. In a way, the Lord is saying to Moses, all of my faithful people have known me in a certain way, but they haven't known me entirely and fully. I'm still telling you new things about myself that you didn't know before. Now, this is useful if you're talking to people who say, well, Yeshua, you know, he's a break from the past. He's not connected to the God of the Jewish people. Um, Don't you think all the rabbis would know he's the Messiah if he was the Messiah? And the answer is no, not necessarily. If Moses didn't know the name of God, yod heh vav and didn't have that covenantal intimacy with God, if Moses didn't, Why do you think any one person might know everything about God at a certain point in their life? Let's go on to some New Testament references. Matthew 22, verse 31. This is a merry-go-round. You see how we're sort of spinning around? Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's in the book of Matthew. Yeshua is saying it. Hasn't God already said this to you, and doesn't he keep saying this to you? That's why I'm repeating it. Am I not the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Who am I? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's who God is. And then Acts 3, verse 12 Do you remember the Holy Spirit's poured out? We read about it earlier, tongues of fire, baptism in the Holy Spirit, gifts of tongues, and then the disciples go out, you know, into the crowds who are gathered in Jerusalem that day on Shavuot, Jewish people from all over the diaspora, all over the world, uh, people, Jewish people from every language group. And it's, it's an amazing moment, though, not fully understandable to everyone. Some people think they're drunk. 
Peter says otherwise. This is what the prophet Joel was talking about. But listen to these words. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you surprised by this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? This is following that, you know, when someone had been healed because of the proclamation of Yeshua. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua. Do you know what's going on? Do you see? We've had, the, we've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've got boldness now. We're ready to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, just like Yeshua said. And now we're ready to minister to the sick, to, the, to needy people of every kind. And a lame man walks. Do you remember that great statement, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, rise up and walk? The guy rises up and walks. It's like, wow, they're cool. No, it's not us. It's the Lord. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob at work, the one who has glorified his servant Yeshua. This one is at work. Further on in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior in order to grant repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. This work that is done is an expression of the faithfulness of the God of our fathers. Yeshua was raised from the dead, why? Because of the work of the God of our fathers. Now let's take it a step further. In the Brit HaKadoshah, Yeshua is identified as the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about in John chapter one, verse 45. This really is a survey of a lot of scripture. If you can keep up with it, good for you. <laughs> Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the Torah and about whom the prophets also wrote, Yeshua of Nazareth, son of Joseph. We found him. Who? The one Moses wrote about, that's who. The one the prophets wrote about, that's who. We found him. He's the one that the scriptures were speaking to us about. And let's continue with this thought. It's in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. This is after Yeshua has been raised from the dead and prior to his ascension to heaven. Yeshua said to them, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Hear the words. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Torah of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds to comprehend the Tanakh. And the, the Greek word is conveying this idea, to get the big picture of the scriptures. 
Because sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And when your theology and your expectations um, are focused on the wrong details, you can actually miss the big story. So one of the details that everyone was focusing on that caused them to miss the big story was this. They believed Messiah would come as a conquering king who would just come and vanquish the Roman oppressors and thus usher in the kingdom of God in this fashion. And Yeshua said, I'm coming and I'll have to suffer. And they said, don't you know that Messiah is victorious? And Yeshua says, I have to suffer. And they said, not really. You don't. We all agree, all Jewish people know this. When Messiah comes, it'll change everything for the good. There will be world peace, right? And so forth and so on. And Yeshua says, wrong. That's not the way it is. I have to suffer. It's part of what I have to do. I have to lay my life down. No one's taking it from me. I'm laying my life down for your sake, for the, for the salvation of Israel and the nations of the world, for everyone's sake. No one's doing this to me. I'm not the victim of circumstance. But I have to do this. And I will complete everything that's written about me in the Torah. Which Torah? There's only one, Moses' Torah. The prophets, the Psalms. Just as affirmation and clarity, he opens up their minds and now they begin to understand the Tanakh. And with that new comprehension, they can read the scriptures and see things they couldn't see before. This happens really again and again to everyone who comes to the Lord. There's a moment when, oh, you may have faith at a moment and begin to follow the Lord, but, you know, that beginning is just part of a process. You have to be renewed in your mind and your understanding. You've got to have enough experience with God to to see how he works in different ways. And you have to have enough experience with the word to let the word bring light to you, to show things that you couldn't know any other way. And that's what's happening here. And it's such a beautiful thing. They've been following Yeshua for, what, three some years? They, they saw miracles. They ministered with him. They were his ministry team. They were his chosen disciples, the select of the select. They were the trusted ones. They were the ones he called who he wanted to be with, to send them out with power and authority. They were the ones who went out even before he died and had become a sacrifice. They went out and in his name, they were bringing freedom from demonic spirits. They were healing people. They were bringing good news to every kind of person. In his name, they were declaring, the kingdom of God has come near to you now. And yet, they couldn't really put the scriptures together in a coherent way. They didn't understand the big picture and the whole picture. So they couldn't read the scriptures 
except through the lens of what they had previously learned. Now their eyes are open. And in the same way, your eyes get open. My eyes get open. I remember when I read this, I said, oh God, open my mind to comprehend the scriptures. I'm missing stuff. I need help. And it was such a necessary part of my walk of faith and my development. I want to close with a wonderful prophecy that is part of the traditional Shabbat liturgy. It's from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. It says in Hebrew, V'ne'emar, v'haya adonai, ha'melech al-kol ha'aretz, b'yom ha'hu yiyeh adonai echad, u'shmo echad. And it's a wonderful part of the full liturgy. And this is what it says in English. It has been prophesied. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. You see, there's coming a time when the kingship of the Lord will be more fully demonstrated on this earth and in this earth. And when that happens, the who's who stuff will all get settled. The Lord will be one and his name one. Jewish people all over the world of every stripe are declaring this as part of the traditional liturgy. And we, Messianic Jews, Messianic believers from every part of the world, we too should proclaim this, knowing this, that if the name of Yeshua isn't fully known now among our people, it will be known. And it can be known. And we who know can be faithful to him in the revelation that he's given us. And we can see the continuity from the time of Moses to the time of Paul and everywhere in between and on either side of their lives as well. So I want to encourage you to to think about this. It was true for Moses, God revealed himself as fire, as a personal presence, as one who has a voice, as wisdom and ultimate authority, and as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only, for Paul, not only for Moses, but also for the disciples of Yeshua, for all the apostles, for Shaul as well, and not only for them, for everyone who would, who would come after them, who puts their faith and trust in the Messiah that's revealed in the Scriptures, and who trust that the Scriptures are the Word of God we too can embrace all of this about the revelation of God. So I hope this encourages you to see continuity between the way God works in Torah and the way he works in the Brit HaKadoshah, the way he worked in days of old and the way he works now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you reveal yourself, for the way that you have revealed yourself, and for the ways that you will reveal yourself. And we thank you that you are, and you have been, and you will be. In the name of Yeshua, you are the unchanging one. In your name we pray. Amen.
We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. I want to ask you to stand up, and if you are by yourself, to move enough. If you can't stand up, that's okay. You can remain seated. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.